Let's pray together again. Jesus, you are our all in all. You tell us that everything is held together um, by you, uh, through you, and for you. So through you comes all things, and in all things uh, we find our satisfaction in you. And so I pray this morning now, as we open your word and as we learn to live like you, live like your son Jesus, I pray that you not only would uh, change our mind, uh, change our reasoning, uh, but that you would have that affect our heart and our will and our emotions, our, our volition. And I pray that as we begin to move and walk in step with your spirit, that we would find there's real joy uh, in living like Christ. And I pray that you would equip us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians 4. We're working our way through uh, this last little passage from verses 25 down to verse 32. There's a lot here. And as you know, if you've been here the last couple weeks or if you've been watching online, uh, that we've been taking each of these five different areas of Christian living that Paul has laid out in these verses and we've one by one walked through them. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at verse 25 and then we looked at verses 26 and 27 last week and today we're going to look specifically at verse 28. But I want to read that passage again. I want this to become so familiar to you uh, that it just kind of resonates in your mind when something comes up in your day-to-day life, okay? So Ephesians 4, I'm going to start reading at verse 25 down to verse 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How many of you have ever heard of evangelism explosion? Are some of you familiar with that program training? Okay, it's a, it's a training that's used to share your faith with people and to bring folks from a place of unbelief to belief. One of the tools that's used in, in this method or technique of evangelism explosion is to walk a person through the Ten Commandments and show them how often they actually violate the Ten Commandments. If you ask most people, are you good? They would answer yes. Most people believe that they are good. And so when you begin working through those Ten Commandments, you begin to show them that there's a problem between what they say and what they actually are. So if you would ask someone, well, if you're good, then you always tell the truth, right? Well, right away, most people will say, well, most of the time I tell the truth. Or maybe here and there, there'll be a little white lie Uh, But Exodus 20 and verse 16 gives no exceptions. It says, 
you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie, period. And so if you even tell a little white lie, you're in violation of that commandment, of the Ten Commandments. So nobody can say they've never lied. We, we've all lied. We talked about that a couple Sundays ago when we were together. When Paul said, uh, don't lie, put away falsehood, tell the truth with one another. And so another question then that might come out of that evangelism explosion is the question, have you ever murdered anyone? Well, most people immediately will say, no, I've never murdered anyone. But if you were with us last week, you remember that Jesus equated anger with murder. And Jesus said, if you're angry at someone in your heart, it is though you have committed murder in your heart against them. Because anger, in essence, says, my life would be better if you weren't in it right now. And so if it's explained that way, in that evangelism explosion model, have you ever committed murder? And murder means, have you ever been angry with someone in your heart? Most people will have to say, yeah, I guess I'm guilty then. So the point of the exercise or, or the, is to demonstrate we've all broken the law. We've all violated the Ten Commandments. We're all lawbreakers. And as such, we are not good and we need someone to rescue us from our badness. Jesus did a version of this exercise himself when he encountered the rich young ruler. I want you to turn with me for just a moment to Matthew chapter 19. It's almost as though Jesus had looked ahead and saw this uh, evangelism explosion model and decided to try it out, or else we took it from him. We'll, we'll go that direction. Look what happens when he encounters this rich young ruler. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. It says this, Behold, a, a man came up to him, that's Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now notice that the man puts the emphasis on what good deed must I do? Okay, so right off the bat, we know that this guy has in his mind that his eternal security, his eternal life was based upon his performance. And so Jesus kind of sets him up. And look what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He first of all tells this guy, there's only one who is good. Now, I don't know if this guy thought, well, he must be talking about me. Uh, but Jesus, of course, is talking about himself. He's the only one who is good, perfectly, all the time, true, right, holy, and just, and, and, and Jesus tells him a factual statement. He says, if you would enter life, then keep the commandments. Why? Well, because the commandments of, the, of God are perfect. The commandments of God reveal the moral character of God. If you want to know how God acts morally, look at his law. It's exactly his character put into words. It's perfect. It's right, it's just, it's holy. And if you keep them perfectly, then you will indeed have life. What's the problem? You can't keep them perfectly. I've already told you too that you violated 
We're going to look at another one this morning. You can't keep it. There is not a single person in this room today who can say that they have kept all of the law with absolute perfection from the moment they were born until today. Absolutely no chance. And so Jesus gives this guy a chance to redeem himself. Look what he says in verse 18. He's like, okay, uh, the, verse 18, the, the ruler says to Jesus, well, which ones, which commandments are you talking about? Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, again, it's almost like Jesus is, is using this evangelism explosion model and he's just sort of throwing out all these commands, just kind of flying them all out there and saying, all right, let me just give you a bunch. Have you done all of these? And look what the guy says in verse 20. The young man says to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Is that a true statement, by the way? All these I have kept? Impossible. Now, in his mind, he may have believed that that was true. And maybe all of his adult life, he had strived really hard. But is it true that he has kept all of these? He's done all of them perfectly. No, he hasn't. But Jesus kind of gives him the benefit of the doubt, says, okay, Let me just throw out one more. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What was wrong? The guy had selfishness in his heart. He had greed in his heart. He had a lot of possessions. And when Jesus touched on the one where there was a problem, the man just turned and walked away. It was as though he acknowledged it's true. He didn't want to part with that which he had accumulated. Now, why is this story recorded for us? Well, a, a couple of different reasons. Number one, uh, this morning we're going to talk about Greed, selfishness in a sense, stealing, taking what's not ours, hoarding uh, what should be given away. Uh, There's that part of it. But there's also this story is in here to show us that no one is saved by their own works. Even this man who claimed to try so hard and work so hard at keeping so many of the commands could not keep this one. Because he had a sinful heart, just like we do. We were born with a sinful nature. In order to have eternal life, we must have perfect righteousness. But that righteousness, we can't give enough of our own. We we don't have enough to make it perfect. Our righteousness, the righteousness we need, in order to enter into heaven, has to come from outside of ourselves. Has to come from somebody else. And it comes from a person named Jesus, right? Right? Because Jesus walked perfectly on earth. He kept all of the commandments perfectly. And so when we trust in what he did, when we trust in his works, when we by faith believe in him, it's that finished work of Jesus on the cross and then through the resurrection that saves people. Jesus is the only one who is good. And in order to have his goodness... We must express our faith in him. So we repent of our sin 
and we trust in Jesus Christ. We have a relationship, a right relationship with Jesus. And when we repent, he not only forgives us, but he gives us his righteousness. We call that being covered in his blood. Now, it's not as though you're doused with a a bucket of blood. What that means is, is that the person of Christ... The righteousness of Christ covers you. You're you're covered in his blood, his blood being representative of the sacrifice that he made on your behalf. And so when we say we're covered in the blood of Christ, it means we believe in Jesus Christ, we've received his righteousness applied to us. It's It's an alien righteousness. It's something that comes from the outside, given to us, and now... We not only have a right relationship with God, but Jesus says, follow me, and we have him living in our hearts to be able to live out now how he's asked us to live. So we follow his example. We begin living like he lives. Do you do that with utter perfection today? Do you live exactly like Jesus wants you to today? Well, I think most of you would say, I try. I really want to. The reality is, We still struggle, don't we? We still struggle. We have these old sin habits that we brought with us and we're still bound inside of this flesh and we have to continually kill this old man who sort of raises up his head every now and then. And as soon as we root out one sin of our lives and we're following obediently there, then God brings another one to our attention and we begin rooting that one out. And and so goes the process all the way until we are given the privilege of meeting Jesus Christ in heaven. Our works cannot be the basis of our salvation because our works are too fickle. They're good and then they're not good. They kind of go back and forth. And so we increasingly look like Jesus. We walk like him. He inhabits us. He enables us. But daily, we take up our cross. We deny ourselves and we live for Jesus. And so what Paul is going to do now this morning in our Ephesians 4 passage is he is going to lay out for the Ephesians another reiteration of the Ten Commandments. That's all he's doing. He's taking the Ten Commandments and he's basically giving it to them again. He's just explaining it to them in their context. So two weeks ago he said, don't lie, tell the truth. Comes right out of the Ten Commandments. Don't bear false witness. Last week, he said, be angry, and do, but do not sin. In other words, don't commit murder, even murder in your heart. And so now this week, he's going to turn his attention to stealing or to theft or to thievery. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not steal. Very straightforward. Stealing is not how a follower of Christ Lives And so, as we said before, as Paul lays these out, he's not telling them this is what will save you. Only Jesus' works will save you. But once you're saved, if you want to live like Jesus lived, Jesus followed the Ten Commandments, and one of those is, thou shalt not steal. Okay? So, we need to know, how does the family of God live? We don't, we don't steal. We don't take what's, what's not ours. God's grace is at work in our lives, and so here's how we live. And so look at verse 28 again, Ephesians 4, verse 28. Here's our focus uh, for this morning. Let the thief no longer steal, 
but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That word thief there is the Greek word klepto. Have you ever heard of a klepto? Do you know what a kleptomaniac is? Right, It's where we get our English word for someone who's known for stealing. When I was in high school, there was a kid that was a couple grades ahead of me. He was Klepto James. That was his name. Sorry if there's any James here this morning. That was it. Klepto James. He, he, he did what he called the five-finger discount everywhere he went. He was known to be a thief, a shoplifter. Right? Well, that's where we get this word, this, this klepto word, okay? Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're thinking, well, Sean stomped on my toes a couple weeks ago when he said, don't lie. And he stomped on my toes last week when he said, don't be angry. But I know one thing for certain, I am not a thief, so he is not going to stomp on my toes today. All I have to say is, put your boots on. Because this one is far wider and deeper than I ever thought about until we start, until I started studying this, this idea of, of being a thief. It has wide application. Clearly, if you're a, sh- uh, a shoplifter, you're stealing. Uh, that one's pretty straightforward. I don't think anybody would deny that. Um, I know that I've told you uh, in the past that the first recollection of a conscious sin I committed uh, was when I was five years old and I shoplifted. I took a Snickers bar out of the grocery store on the way out the door. Um, So I was guilty probably before that, but at least by the age of five, I had violated this command, thou shalt not steal. Okay, so that's one way. That's like a blatant, obvious way. But there are other ways that we can steal that we tend to overlook. How many of you just finished your tax return and took a maybe a questionable deduction here or there? Maybe something that you knew maybe wasn't quite right, but they'll never catch it, right? Maybe you fudged the numbers slightly. Maybe you didn't report on your tax return all of your cash sales or your tips. That's stealing. Stealing from who? Well, stealing from the federal government. Well, who cares? Those guys have enough money the way it is, and look how they spend it. Trillions of dollars in debt. They don't need any more. Listen, Romans 12, 7 doesn't give any exceptions. It says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You don't get a pass just because the federal government doesn't spend the money the way you like them to. What about this one? Another form of stealing is padding your expense account. I knew a guy who used to do this all the time. When we would go to lunch, he would ask for all of our receipts for our lunch, and he would take them, and over the next several weeks, he would turn them in as his own. I didn't like to go to lunch with him because I didn't even want to have to deal with the situation, so I would just stick it in my pocket or throw it away quick. Padding your expense account, stealing from your employer. What about reporting more hours than you actually worked? If you are one of the privileged ones who just gets to write in how many hours you work on your time card, ever fudge those a little? That's stealing. Now, 
employers can steal as well. If, if you're paying your employees substandard wages just because you can get by with it, that's stealing. It's not treating them justly and fairly. It's stealing from them what is owed to them. Anybody guilty so far? You don't have to raise your hand. Here's a few more. Just in case you're wondering, are there other ways to steal? Frivolous uses of wealth, we could say, is a form of stealing. Things like gambling or excessive consumer debt or negligent payment of bills. All of those violate a command of God. How so? Because all that we have has been given to us. There is no wealth that we own There is only wealth that we steward. And so all of it is given to us by God to steward for his purpose. And if we're spending it frivolously, that is a violation of how God wants us and intends for us to use his wealth. I remember uh, one summer when I was working for the CPA firm, they sent me out to Las Vegas for a conference that was out there. And I got to stay in this place called the Venetian. Have you ever, has anybody ever seen that one? It's a, a big casino there. Beautiful, extravagant kind of place. Well, when I was checking in uh, to the Venetian, the guy next to me uh, asked the clerk, the check-in clerk, he said, hey, just humor me. What is your most expensive room in this place? And the clerk, without batting an eye, she said, oh, Easy. Top floor of the Venetian, the entire top floor, the penthouse is one room. It rents for $1 million a night. She said, but the thing is, we never rent it out. It's always comped to the high rollers who come into town and spend their millions and millions of dollars. We never actually rent it. And she said, you want to know something else interesting about the penthouse? When those high rollers come in and they spend their millions and millions and millions, when they leave, they clean that penthouse empty. They take the TVs, they take the towels, they take the bed sheets, and she said, we don't care. Because they've dropped so much money, we'll just refurnish it again. Let them take it all over again. That is a form of stealing from God. It's a frivolous use of money using God's resources in ways that do not reflect on his moral character. So I don't know if you're into that scene or not, but I would just challenge you. I'm not sure that's how God would want you to use his wealth. Let the thief no longer steal. Maybe you're sitting there self-righteously, thinking, well, I'm not guilty yet. You haven't caught me yet. Let me give you a few more, all right? Have you ever taken your dad's money off of his dresser? Have you ever not repaid a debt, even if it was a small one? What happens when the clerk overpays you in change? What do you do with that? Or what about this one, a little more modern? How many of you log into Netflix with somebody else's account? That's stealing. It's not yours. You're stealing from Netflix. I don't know that we think about how far this goes. Back when I was a kid, it was 
getting CDs and DVDs and copying them, you know, you know, just making a copy of it, not buying it, right? Stealing even applies to our usage of the gifts and talents that God has given to us. In 1 Corinthians 4, it says this, What do you have that you did not receive? Answer, nothing. Everything you have, you received. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Every talent, every ability, every gifting that you have belongs to God. And if you do not use it for the glory of God, you are actually robbing from him. So, When Paul lays out this one simple verse and says, let the thief no longer steal, I don't think he's talking just about the shoplifter, and I don't think he's talking about just the Ephesian pagans who have become a Christian. I think he's talking about me and you. None of us are exempt. None of us are free from the temptation to steal. That's the negative. Let the thief no longer steal. Okay, Uh, if you remember the pattern, Paul gives us this pattern. Put off the old, put on the new, and here's why. Okay, so put off the old. Let the thief no longer steal. What's the positive in verse 28? What comes right there in the middle, it says this. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. That is an entire reversal of the attitude of theft. Theft says, I am entitled to that and I will take it for my own regardless of the harm that it does to you. The reverse of that says, I am not entitled. entitled. I am responsible. I am not the center of the world. God is, and now I will live with his glory in mind. So Paul says, Christian, get a job. Go get a job. Quit stealing Go be productive with your hands. Instead of using your hands to steal from other people, use your hands to provide for yourselves and for others. There's this old, old saying that goes back in my family for generations. It's an old auto uh, motto to live by. Maybe you've heard it. If you don't work, you don't. Oh, you had it too. If you don't work, you don't eat, right? That's biblical. Let me show you why this biblical comes straight out of the Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For even when we are with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. It is from those verses we actually get our theology of Christian work ethic. You work, you eat. You don't work, you don't eat. Now, it's not talking about someone who's disabled, okay? It's talking about someone who clearly has the ability to provide with their own hands, but they choose to do something otherwise. If you want to be pleasing to God then stop stealing, stop living off someone else's dime, and go to work with your hands. Now, this doesn't mean, by the way, that only manual labor is valid. That's not what that means. When Paul says, work with your hands, he's using this as as a kind of a normal portrayal of hard work for gain as opposed to work at stealing. 
Okay, so it parallels with this idea that the robber was using his hands to take from somebody. Now he's using his abilities and his hands and his mind to obtain honest gain. So if you have a desk job, you, you still qualify, okay? Uh, thankfully, right? So you're, you're doing a, a good work. But notice what Paul says. Now, look at the little word he, he says. He says, you must do honest work. I think that's important because a Christian should never be in, involved in a job or in a profession or in a business that demands that he compromise God's standards. The type of work he is in must be honest. He must be doing honest work with honesty. I think it's a real shame when I hear of someone who has that little Christian fish symbol on the back of their work truck and nobody wants to deal with him because he's a thief. He's not honest. It's such such a shame to the name of Christ. If that little symbol's on there, you ought to be the one people are flocking to. They want to work with you because you live with integrity. You treat people honesty. You have an ability to work with people in fairness and justice. Your character and the character of Christ should never be in question when you are working, working with your hands. I hope that's what's said about you, and I think it is. Now, why does Paul demand this? He gives him the negative. Look at it there. He says, stop stealing. He gives him the positive. Start working with your hands. And then he gives him the reasoning. Why do it? He says, so that you have something to share with anyone in need. The goal of the Christian life is to serve, right? It's to serve God and it's to serve others. And that idea of service works its way all the way down into the minutia of our lives such that the reason we work is not just to accumulate bigger houses, more toys, more luxurious vacations. The reason we work is so that we can serve others, so that we can share with those in need. There is no room for selfishness or greed or the motive of personal profit in the life of a believer. Giving becomes the motive for getting. Giving becomes the motive for getting. Can I just say right here, just kind of on a personal note, I just want to say thank you to how many of you live that out. Honestly, I have just been blown away over and over and over in the time that I've been here at Bethel at how many of you live that out. You get so that you can give. And you give generously. That just blesses your pastor's heart. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Keep doing that. When Paul spoke to these Ephesians, uh, he spoke to their elders in Acts chapter 20, and, and he said this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I know many of you have experienced that firsthand, that blessing of giving. I remember when I was 24 years old, it was uh, on a Friday night, 
the apartment where I was living burned down in the middle of the night. I, I literally crawled out of the apartment on my hands and knees because of the smoke. A burglar actually broke in down the hallway and to cover his tracks, he apparently lit that apartment on fire and it carried through the, the whole building. Apartment gone. Uh, within a matter of hours, every uh, earthly possession that I had, with the exception of my car, which is parked outside, uh, was, was gone, burnt up. And I remember the next day, my family coming down to help sort through, what do we do next? Find a new place to live. Kind of, We couldn't go in. Of course, everything is still smoldering and hot. My aunt showed up. And my, when my aunt was there, uh, she opened her wallet and she pulled out 500 bucks and she tried to hand it to me. And I remember just being resistant, like, I can't, I can't, I can't take that kind of money. Uh, and she said something to me I'll never forget. She said, are you going to deny me the blessing of being able to give to you? And that has stuck with me for, well, I was 24, so it's been a long time. Stuck with me for a long, long time because she was being generous because she was being unselfish and she wanted me to help. She was getting a blessing at the same time I was getting a blessing. Paul says to the wealthy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you are to do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Our getting becomes the vehicle for our giving and our sharing So based on what you know now, how many of you would say, yeah, I've probably stolen some time in my life? Let me see. All right. Most of us are not liars. <laughs> We've stolen somewhere in our lives, maybe directly thievery, maybe indirectly. There's one of these other ways. What's the solution for that? Repentance and walking in holiness. Repent, confess when you know you've done wrong, and now walk by the Spirit. Jesus Christ within you, enabling you to walk in obedience, setting new priorities in your life. Maybe you need to make a confession to God, and maybe you need to make a confession to someone else whom you've cheated. I don't know what that exact repentance looks like in your life, but if it's necessary, do it. Get your right... Life right with God uh, at this point. I-, I want you to be characterized by lives that are not stealing, but sharing. When is a thief no longer a thief? Not when he quits stealing, but when he begins sharing. That's when he's made the, the change. The Bible says that those whose lives are characterized by stealing will not enter the kingdom of God. And I don't want you to be in that category. That would be an awful place to be. But by the power of the gospel, you can be changed and and your life can be different. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on this verse, makes a wonderful observation about the work of Christ in transforming the life of the believer. Here's what he says. He says, When the devil tempted Eve, he led her to become a thief, for she took the fruit that was forbidden. And she, in turn, made Adam a thief. The first Adam was a thief and was cast out of paradise. But the last Adam, Christ, turned to a thief 
on the cross and said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Aren't you thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ that can take hearts that are given to thievery and turn them to hearts that are given to generosity, lives that are given to service, lives that are pleasing to God? That's the power of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't you want that today? Why don't you stand with me? Let me pray for us. And then we'll go and be instruments of generosity in our world. God, these are hard-hitting verses. (laughs) I'm not exempt from these, clearly. I've violated every one of these. I'm a lawbreaker, just like everybody else sitting in this room. And yet you're willing to love lawbreakers. You're willing to die for lawbreakers. You're willing to take our sin on your shoulders and you're willing to bear the penalty in our place. And instead of giving us punishment and death, when we turn to your son in repentance and faith, you give us his righteousness. You give us a new heart, a desire and a will that's oriented toward you. And yes, we do sometimes still fail, It's not an excuse, it's a reality that we still sometimes battle against the old man, but you've given us now your power within us to help us. Thank you for saving us by your son's work alone, by Christ alone, by grace through faith alone. But also thank you for showing us how to live inside this new family. And I pray that our hearts would be turned from greed to generosity. That when we get through honest labor, through hard work, through fair and just means, we'd also be willing to give to those who are in need. We'd be willing to share with those around us. And Father, that we could be a blessing to others. For it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. I pray that Bethelites would be characterized as being generous givers that we would look for ways to make you look great uh, using your resources that you've entrusted to us. I pray you'd keep us safe now as we leave this building and that we could gather again soon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.